Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. All right. Woo. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon, depending on where you're at. And, uh, man, we have a, a, a good, good uh, conversation going to happen here in a second. Uh, um, unfortunately, um, ran into a little bit of technical difficulties, but uh, I think we've got through it. And, well, I want to bring in our guest. Uh, I got Gail Anders and uh, TJ Mead, and we're going to be discussing, um, well, a little bit about uh, Brazil, uh, Brazilian, Brazilian business uh, continuity management, uh, some metrics that they created, and some really cool stuff they're doing over there at Netflix. So, Gail, welcome to the show, and TJ, welcome to the program. So, okay, so you guys just were sitting around drinking coffee and said, hey, let's write a paper. Is that how this happened? <laughs> uh, not so much. Uh, Scott Baldwin was our prior manager at uh, Netflix, and he had a relationship, or somebody had reached out to him from the from the journal and inquired about him documenting the Netflix Unified Resilience Framework um, that he had essentially written and published in different different venues. Um, and so Scott invited us to co-author that article because at the same time. Uh, we were actually going through a uh, redesign or just updating our methodology for how we're administering our program here at Netflix. And uh, it was just a perfect opportunity. Um, the first draft was a lot longer. And, you know, five months later, it was eventually published. So, so TJ, when, when you're looking at the ideas here of disaster resilience, business continuity, you know, when it comes to well, IT and also when it comes to you know, keeping your business running after things go sideways. Um, what, what, what is the framework and, and how did you come up with that concept? Well, we were trying to get away from the, the old standard of, well, how many plans did you write or how many plans do you have, right? Because plans end up just being a thing that gets, that's on a shelf collecting dust or, or digitally just archived somewhere. Um, people don't use them. People don't update them. <clears throat> So we said, how could we ask meaningful questions, uh, both from the business perspective and the technology perspective, in a way that's useful for all the teams, um, but also a way that we could quantify and provide a way that was uh, that you could compare things that would normally otherwise not be comparable, right? So that's the that's the way that we do our calculations. We come up with a, a continuity score, um, yeah, and it. It's worked out really well. We've um, we focused primarily on on cloud and on premise technologies, but uh, we we have an eye towards expanding that methodology moving forward. So, Gail, what are the things that like really drive you for 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 being part of this program as far as writing it and and doing it, and what 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 are you guys doing that that makes this unique compared to other organizations? So you're able to see a live snapshot of what the current health is for your organization based off of the number of assessments we've completed. So you, any leader within the organization can access our tool and they can see their departments and the assets that have been uh, inventoried or assessed and they can see their score. And if it's a negative score or a score that they're concerned about, they can drill it down and figure out, hey, like what, maybe they don't have response documentation. Maybe there's a technical single point of failure or a personnel single point of failure whatever that context may be, but that helps bring to awareness um, whatever the concerns may be regarding continuity for those services, applications, and individuals. Uh, and the great thing is, is that it's real time. So as soon as you fix that issue, we can adjust the score. 
And so it's always a true representation of the current state of uh, the services and applications you're responsible for. So I want to I want to back up just a couple seconds here. So, so TJ, can you give me like a uh, an executive summary of, of what your paper is and what you were looking to get out of it? Yeah. So we were trying to uh, bring it up to a high level. Gail, Gail and I had written a lot of documentation around the nuts and bolts of how it worked, um, but we wanted to try and bubble that up to to a level that other team or other teams and companies could apply that to their situation. Um, the way that Netflix does this isn't is isn't always necessarily going to work for everybody, but we tried to make sure that the methodology was flexible enough that you could adapt it to your own situation. Right, the controls may be different um, based on uh, like I used to work in banking. Uh, banking's controls are way different than entertainment. Um, I, through my time as a consultant, I, I worked with pharmaceuticals and, and all the rest of those. So regulated environments, those regulators are going to have things that they're interested in. Um, and we wanted to make sure that the paper spoke at a high enough level that you could still take the overall framework and apply it um, to whatever industry you may be in, while also giving a flavor of this is how Netflix does it. Why should businesses and organizations be interested in this work and business continuity in general? Well, I, anybody who's done business continuity for, for any length of time knows that it's, it's a perpetually or under-invested uh, endeavor. Uh, disaster recovery is the same way, right? A lot of, a lot of teams are doing are a lot of companies are required to have disaster recovery and business continuity. Um, but the teams often tend to be very small, uh, have very small investments. So the reason that we think that this methodology is important and a good way to do things is that it's easier to scale, right? Like you can do it. Gail and I are the only ones doing this at Netflix right now. So, um, we tried to make it a way that we could scale this out and that other other companies could scale this out as well, knowing that there is that underinvestment, right? Like teams don't tend to be huge um, and they they can take this and move forward with it. And as they grow and show that it, you, you immediately see results right out of right out of the gate with the the metrics. So you can take those metrics to leadership and say, hey, here's what we have right now the more investment you put in this, um, the more we can scale this out. So, Gail, I, I want to ask a leadership question right now, you know, when it comes to this. So you're talking about, here's a tool that you're giving um, organizations to be able to look at, use kind of gear where they're going at with what they're working on. Um, how did you get buy-in and, and did you, what was leading, I'm, I'm assuming maybe a little bit here, that you had to lead up a little bit on this. What what was that process like for you, especially at an organization that might not be as interested in? Not saying that Netflix isn't, but at an organization that might not be interested in investing in, say, business continuity and, and disaster resilience. So the first, the way we started is we had a pilot program, and during that pilot program, we met with multiple teams and departments across Netflix on the studio side, on the engineering side, on the finance side, just being curious about the work that they do and seeing and demonstrating the work that we do 
and getting some buy-in at the ground level. So we have a little bit of a grassroots movement, if you will, of showing the, the tactical level of, hey, this is the benefit of this information. This is how you can use it. Um, and then we presented that to leadership. And we just had a simple question of, now that you can see what we're doing, can you at least just tell us where to start? And we got that direction. And once we started engaging with um, that, the, the team that we were directed to engage with, the great thing about our program is that we have the ability to grow organically. So one of the things we look at is resource requirements. So if you own asset X and it requires you know, A, B, and C for it to be available, I want to go and talk to the teams that own A, B, and C because um, I want to make sure there's no continuity gaps or inherited risk between a dependency that exists between those two services, right? And so as we grew organically, more and more people became aware of our program and we started getting bubbled up with leadership because we're like, hey, listen, we're here. We just want to let you know uh, we're not going to be invasive. We're not distracting. We're not going to be a distraction from the work that we're doing. And I think the biggest payoff is we've, we've streamlined this to the point to where we can do an assessment in 45 minutes so that engineer is not distracted or that other business units not distracted with the work that we're doing. And that's been the biggest sell-off uh, as far as getting leadership buy-in to give us the ability, the permission, for lack of better terms, to go and engage with their teams. How do you define risk? Risk. Risk is anything that, um, that can result in a, in a negative impact, right? So risk is something that's documented across multiple companies and multiple uh, doctrinal publications. Uh, but what's, what's hard to understand is the impact, right? So <laughs> it's easy, easy to say like, hey, probability and likelihood and what is the actual, um, uh, how, how often can this occur? Uh, what's challenging is to understand the impact. And so in the article, we talk about criticality. And when we ask service owners, hey, how important it is, generally they say it's the most important thing in Netflix. Uh, and we peel that onion back. So we say, okay, so tell me what happens after this thing is offline for an hour. Nothing. What happens after it's offline for 24 hours? Nothing. Okay, so maybe you're not a level 10 criticality. At what point is it become unacceptable for this service to be unavailable? So that's where we focus. Uh, we leave the risk analysis to the risk team uh, because they're the ones who are engaging and they're quantifying what is the actual impact if, you know, from a fiscal standpoint, right, what's the blast radius as far as whatever the different regulatory compliant requirements are for us as a company? I do want to add one, one additional thing, like focusing on partnerships. Gail, Gail mentioned uh, our partnership with the risk team. Um, they already have risk quantifications, right? So Gail and I are able to take the gaps that we identify through the continuity assessments and provide those to the risk team, and they can then apply their risk risk quantification to those gaps. Um, we also partner with other teams um, so that we're addressing concerns that they have while still keeping an eye on what's important to Gail and I from a continuity perspective. Um, and then additionally, when we were coming up with the question set that we use for our surveys, we tried to be as open with our customers as possible and allow them to provide feedback. So Gail talked about the pilot that we did. Each one of those pilots provided feedback to us on the, the wording that we used. What questions are we asking that we, we shouldn't be? What questions should we be asking that we're not? Those, that sort of open and honest feedback it was the best way for us to to gain acceptance and um, interest in our program, um, interest in buy-ins. So that 
that proved super useful to us. And now through all of that work, now we've have, we have all this established partnerships with audit risk vendor facilities, buildings, et cetera. What lessons did you guys pull from the whole Sony debacle? That's my words, not theirs. Uh, um, it, it's a tricky question for us because even though Gail, Gail and I work within security, we try to stay as much out of out of security's way as possible. Um, we incorporate some questions that that do pertain to security and, and specific to Sony. Um, one of our questions is around. Um, the concept of immutable uh, immutable backups or isolated environments for storage and backups and that sort of thing. Um, but we know that security itself does their own capability assessments. So they're out there doing deep dives on, on all of those things. Um, but we asked ourselves, what of, what of the security-related questions is important to resilience, response, and recovery, which are the things that are important to our program? And that's where we started pulling in just those sorts of things. And then we share data uh, with the security team that's doing their capability assessments as well. Um, but but to your point about Sony, yeah, like them getting in and, and destroying the, the recovery environment, that that's something that we have to think about, especially with with most companies moving towards a more cloud-based system, right? Yeah seems like everybody's in the cloud right now you know and uh i think that if we're and what i mean everybody including government right i mean like mm-hmm. the, everything is there um and you know there's there's been conversation not and i don't know enough details about this so i'm not i'm not saying this is what, what happened the other day um but there's been conversation going although the government right now is saying that there hasn't there wasn't a hack on the faa um there's been serious conversations with some um people who I know in the computer security and risk sect saying that this might have been, you know, man, it might have been, right? They're not saying it is. They're saying it, but it smells like it is. Um, you know, so so that being said, I think everybody really has to take that that risk uh, seriously. Um, and, and I want to go back to the leadership questions again on this. Um, were there any pushback? from the organization, from people saying, ah, we don't have to deal with this. Why are you bothering me with, with this? Yes. Um, so there were some challenges, definitely. And here, here's the deal. Here's what I learned about myself, right? Um, there were some people who saw the, the light at the end of the tunnel and saw the value in our program, and it made sense to them very, very quickly. Um, and then we fell short with other teams. And every time I know that I've fallen short because they kind of just sign us off and then they just never reach out back to us. Uh, but Netflix is great because we farm for dissent, right? So if I know that I sucked in a presentation. I go and I follow up with that leader and I say, hey, why, why did I fall short with you? And they will straight up tell me, well, we don't see the relevance in this because of X, Y, and Z. I say, okay, great. So now I understand a little bit more about how they look at risk how they look at continuity, how they manage their teams. And I don't want to be a duplication of efforts. So if you're already doing the right things for the right reasons and already have a program in place, I'm not going to come into your house and tell you how to run shop, right? Um, so I find a better way to communicate. And maybe if I can't, if my program's not a good fit for you, how can I partner with you? How can I help you? 
Do you care about the other teams that I'm assessing? And maybe my information would be of value to you because of whatever team that you may be on and the position you sit within the company. Um, so that's how I kind of dealt with pushback. Um, and sometimes, you know, I don't have the authority to, to tell people to, to stop what they're doing and listen to me. Netflix is a very fast paced environment. We have a lot of things happening at all at once. Um, and if now is not a good time, what I ask them is like, hey, listen, do you have, if it's January, do you have time in November? Can I at least meet with you? Like that's how far out sometimes we have to engage with certain leaders because, wow. of, because of how busy they are, right? And I, I truly appreciate that. We've also taken a, a multifaceted approach to this because in some cases, leadership, senior leadership is very interested in what we're doing. And they're willing to tell you right from right from day one that, okay, I want you to go meet with these three te- three or four teams, start here and then go down. There were other times where the leader would simply say to us, like, why are you talking to me? Go talk to go talk to the actual teams themselves. And then in, in different cases, we had to get all the way down to the bottom and then work backwards, you know, as more of a grassroots sort of thing. So all three of those things work uh, in our organization. But part of that is like Gail was alluding to freedom and responsibility. That's a real thing at Netflix. So it just depends on where you get the engagement. And then the the benefit for us is uh, the fact that we can grow organically, right? So if you're dependent on something else, we go look at that thing as well. And that's our foot in the door because we can say, oh, hey, this team here just said they're dependent on the th- this asset that you own. Do you mind if we take a look at this real quick? And then it's it's also a benefit that we can say it only takes you 45 minutes. And then they're like, oh, OK, great. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, did you get pushback or buying quickly from from your c-suite because i know like there's been a few times like you know i I brought stuff up to the c-suite before and you you know you have to go back and kind of lick your wounds and and rework the the magic before you can get their buy-in um or was it just quickly embraced by that that's still ongoing so that is not that has not been established nobody from that level has directed us to do certain things of whatever um the requirements are for our program we're still working on creating a presentation to them. So we don't have enough data right now. So we're moving very fast. We're engaging with a, so we're, how do I say this? We're doing a lot of engagements. We're doing a lot of assessments, but we don't have enough data for a specific department to actually show them, hey, listen, so here's all of the risk specifically to your department. Um, We have a little bit of everything, but not enough of one thing to actually present it in that that fashion. So you guys truly are doing like a grassroots up movement than than a top-down movement with with this information yes is it has it been difficult for you to to find you know a support without with, with people knowing that this or maybe they don't know that the c-suite you know has a button or or you know have you had door shut no uh we communicate the value of our program to the asset owners and the leaders of those teams and they've all bought into the program and they, they see at the end of it, hey, listen, here's what we found. Because our program is more like a 30,000 foot view, I'm not going to tell your engineers they wrote bad code. I'm not going to tell them their services are configured wrong. I would be like, I wouldn't have a job if I, if I said that to any of our, our partners or our, our, uh, our team members at Netflix, right? Um, 
So once we show them the value, that gives us permission or gives us the ability to move across the rest of their team and to the organic growing. You know, if I've looked at 12 services and they've identified your service as a resource requirement for them, that's a huge, you know, foot in the door, as TJ said, of getting engagement from that specific team. How, how important is it? And I'm going to ask this to TJ here first. And then, because, you know, Gail, you and I, we kind of come from that, uh, you know, run ourselves into a brick wall world, right? You know, uh, TJ, how important is it to be able to speak the language um, of the engineers and, and have them buy in like that instead of having like this, you know, knuckle draggers like TJ or like Gail and I walk in the room and just start spouting off what needs to be done? Well, I'll say that, uh, that Gail, Gail now speaks the language. Um, I made sure that, uh, <laughs> I made sure that we up-leveled him on on all the engineering terminology. Uh, it it is critical, right? Because having worked with many engineers, not all engineers, but many engineers that if if you don't use their terminology, they will immediately just stop paying attention to you. Right. It, the, and I I saw that when I was a consultant that if you're trying to speak business continuity to uh, a disaster recovery person or or a technical engineer. Um, they're not interested. So you have to get that buy-in and that inclusion. Um, and actually, it comes down to ownership, right? Yeah. As as we solicit this feedback and then they see, oh, they incorporated my feedback into this, then they're like, oh, I own part of this now. There's an ownership stake in it. And then the other part of it too was that we found out that having their contributions included wasn't necessarily great all the time because we had some engineers say, oh, I think you should be asking this question. And then we would go speak with another engineer in a complete different part of the of engineering. And they'd say, why are you asking that question? That doesn't make any sense. Um, but then if we work a lot through documents and comments, right? And it, it was the same when I worked for AWS. It's the same at Netflix. Um, it's a very comment and, and conversation driven organization. So you could put both of them in the dock together and they can have, have a comment chain that they can go back and forth. And then inevitably you get to a point where it's like, okay, now we're at a common ground. Let's go with that. Yeah. So they, I, they have that ownership stake. And I, like, I saw that a lot too in, in my consulting days to where, um, Everything gets pushed on the business continuity team. Ownership of things gets pushed onto the business continuity or disaster recovery team. Um, and I know a lot of those listeners will feel that pain that, oh, we've identified all these gaps. Well, you identified them, so you own them now. That's not how we made sure from day one. That's not how this works at Netflix. Gail and I are there to help identify gaps. But whoever the asset owner is owns those gaps, right? It's their responsibility to deal with them um, and their ownership. So that that also is the other part of that ownership story, that that engagement and ownership story. Absolutely. I'll tell you a funny story. I, I wrote a paper on 5G and IoT and I, you know, I did all this research on it and I thought this was like, you know, I was like, oh, I'm gonna impress the CTO, right? And so I brought it over to him. He's a small firm, right? I brought it over to him. He, he read it. And he looks at me and goes, you know, that's not really how this really works, right? And I'm like, what? All the research says this is how it works. He goes, nah. He goes, IoT is like a fake thing. It doesn't even exist. It's like, he's just like, he's just like a terminology. He's just like, I'm like, oh, okay, back to the drawing board on it. So, so Gail, I, I learned the hard way, you know, of, 
of this. Now, quick background, everybody. The reason why I say Gail, Gail, Gail's a, a Marine. Uh, you know, he's done his time and all that kind of stuff. And he's, you know, re-educated himself and like the rest of us, you know, re reprogrammed ourselves. So TJ, thanks for, for uh, leveling up, uh, Gail. As you said. <laughs> we succeed or fail as a team. It's always a team environment. So what's that? What's that like, Gail? What's that like going into the conversations? You know, we we talked earlier about looking at code and how people can read code and know what's going on. And to me, it's just a bunch of different uh, uh, symbols. You know, wh how did you work your way into getting the, the the knowledge and gaining the confidence of the of the engineers? Uh, so I spied on their LinkedIn profiles and I looked at their certifications and all the things that they do. You know, I see you know, cloud practitioner from AWS or something like that. I'd ask TJ about that course. And TJ and me would do lunch and learns for two hours every Wednesday from eight to 10. And we would go through, you know, a, a certification or a class together. And I would hit pause and say, hey, TJ, so explain to me, <laughs> explain to me how the cloud is not in the cloud. It's on the ground in huge data centers uh, because I was infantry. So I, was, I, I understood continuity of operations. I was very process and doctrine driven in the, in the, uh, in the military. Um, and when we speak to the business side of Netflix, I'm, I'm able to take all that infantry stuff and Marine Corps processes and procedures and translate it into having successful partnerships. But on the engineering side, you know, to TJ's point, you have to speak the language. So that was step one is understand what they understand, understand how it applies to Netflix ecosystem, and then just listen. So if we spoke to an engineer. I was two ears in one mouth. I kept my mouth shut. Uh, and I would just listen to how TJ was talking to the engineers and how they would, you know, bring up examples and things like that. And I'm sitting here just taking, you know, copious notes about all of the things that I'm hearing. Like, I don't know what EC2 means. I don't know what S3 is. And I would go and Google it and I'd watch YouTube till, you know, I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I'd go spend an hour on YouTube trying to understand what this stuff means um, so that I can be more informed going into the next day. So it was a little bit of grunt work for lack of better terms. And I tried to fill that role uh, as well on the from a non-military perspective and a technology perspective. I tried to fill that role of translator for Gail of like, hey, I spent 15 years consulting with Fortune 500 companies. Like when they say this, this is what they really mean. Like this, it's yeah. Take it with a grain of salt, or or yeah, all of that. <laughs> all of that. I like the think of the great assault and, and all of that. That's going to be a t-shirt, I think. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so, so what you know, kind of moving forward from this, and you guys have this really great, and and everybody, if you guys want to read the the paper, which I highly recommend, um, it's it's down in the show notes, and and take a look at that. Um, what's your next step? What what's what's the thing that you see coming out of this this work that you guys are doing? The next step is to present it to the C-suite and see what they say about it and get some buy-in. The future state is to create a self-service model where everybody who's identified as an asset owner in whatever the source of truth may be, depending on that asset, if it's cloud tech, a building, uh, a vendor, whatever the case is, they would be able to do these surveys and it would just become a self-service model. Um, so that way it would just streamline it a lot faster. The information is more readily available. Um, but we're we're a little bit of time from that now. We're also looking to add some functionality to the methodology itself as well, because uh, 
I, maybe it was before we started recording, we were talking about cloud tech versus on-prem tech. Um, that covers too much ground. Uh, we, we actually want to incorporate the, the concept of subtypes for assets as well, because, you know, it could be cloud tech could be various different things. It could be a data store. It could be a service. It could be this, that. Um, the base set of questions that we use applies across the board, but we can add like uh, a conditional section of questions that, oh, if it's, um, let's say for facilities, a subtype could be a data closet because it's, it's a physical location, but that's different than an office building. So the base set of questions is still the same, but oh, data a data closet might have five additional questions that are specific to that subtype. So that's that's sort of the next step um, from a methodology perspective that we're looking at. You know, what advice would you guys give and whoever wants to take the question, you know, grab it um, to say somebody else, another, you know, another office that's trying to really get people to be interested in business continuity and, and, you know, resiliency and risk. What advice would you give them to, to really get their program up and running? Be humble. Um, don't go, don't show up to a meeting with an agenda. I, I'm an advocate for let's build a relationship before I ask you for something. Um, I'm curious about who you are as an individual. I'm curious about what you do on your team. I'm curious about what your team does. And all that does is it helps support your initial engagement because, you know, to my point earlier, you know, where I was, sometimes I fell short is I came to meetings with assumptions and we all know what assumptions make us, right? So any meetings with assumptions, it's not how they looked at risk. It's not how they looked at continuity and I failed. And going back, if I would have done a little bit more pre-gaming, then I would have been able to have a better uh, engagement because it's not the benefit in the program that you see in the program is how does the client, I hate using the word client, but how does your teammate look at your program and how does it add value to the work that they do? So that's more or less what I would say. I would say be flexible, right? Be flexible and incorporate feedback. Those without those two things, we would not have succeeded. Um, That that drove a lot of value for us. I, I also want to take one step back and just clarify one thing that Gail said. He said, don't come into a meeting with a with a set agenda. The old consultant in me says, always put an agenda in your <laughs> in your meeting request, but don't come into a meeting with, as Gail said, assumptions, right? Like let it let it be flexible. Let there be a free flow conversation. Don't have assumptions. Um, and make sure those the the people that you're meeting with always ask for their opinion. Uh, I know the old statement about opinions, but uh, it, it gives you a way to dig into some of the background to say, well, why are people doing things the way that they are? Or why why do they comment on things certain ways? And then if you, you look at the feedback that you've solicited, you can say, oh, now I understand where their head's at when they're they're looking at the things that we're trying to create. And it also tells you this is why things are or aren't important to them. Absolutely. ATJ and Gail, thank you so much for your time today. And hey, if you're looking for it, the, the paper's called Resilient Risk Controls and the Netflix uh, Unified Resilient Framework. Uh, you can find that in the link below or you just take a screenshot of that and, and Google search it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a well-written paper. Uh, it's peer-reviewed. I think we're going to see a lot more um, out of you all when it comes to this and um, looking forward to, to learning more about what you're doing. Thank you, Todd. 
Thanks. Right. Um, and uh, hey, everybody, thank you so much for spending time with us today. You know, when when you're doing these things, when you're looking at trying to really build programs, um, look to others that are successful at what they've done. And you know, with TJ and Gail uh, being successful with with what they're doing at Netflix and and writing this paper, check it out, learn from them, um, and, and and be ready to to support your organization and your team with everything that you do. Leading from the ground up is really important, as you can see with what we've heard today, um, and it can be done. So, everybody, thank you so much for spending time again, like I said. And until next week, stay safe and stay hydrated.